Welcome back to another episode of the Mouth of the South podcast. I am your host, Darian Gray, and as the name may suggest, I am the Mouth of the South. Thank you guys for going on this journey with me. Shout out to my boy Nine Division for the instrumental that you hear at the beginning of this podcast because it gets me going every time. It's like, all right, now I'm ready to pod. Now I'm ready to get in here and talk about what we got to talk about. And unfortunately, it's not something good today. So I started off with the quote of the week as usual before I get into the actual game itself. And this isn't from anybody in particular, but it was just a quote that I saw I thought was interesting. It was something about disappointment. And it said, basically, after being disappointed so many times, you start to lose hope in everything. And unfortunately, that's kind of how I feel right now. The Saints were 2-1 and one and everything was talked about in kind of a negative light. And now you're 2-2 two and two after such a disappointing loss to the New York Giants. Daniel Jones drops 400, on you, 400 yards on you. Now it's kind of like I'm starting to lose hope. That's kind of how I feel. I'm not ready to jump off a cliff however i am saying like man maybe i was just too high on the team maybe my expectations were too high you know and i'm not gonna go into the whole you're missing this person that person uh and all of those other things that people would like to say about maybe it's just catching up to them to me this lands squarely on the head of, of sean payton this genuinely does it lands on the head of sean payton yeah, you can you can bring up other stuff. Like, the defense didn't look good today. They didn't at all. Like I said, Daniel Jones dropped 400 on you. They ain't really got much to do with Sean. However, I think there's a lot of moments here. And Sean had a really rough game in a lot of those moments. So, let's go into some of the decisions that get questioned. Um, and I'll start off with kicking the field goal. In the Saints' first three possessions, you crossed over first four, actually. First four possessions, you crossed over midfield and you didn't capitalize and get any points on the board into the fourth. So let's look at those first three. Um, I think I said it last week on the podcast that I thought that it was time for Rosas to be gone. I didn't care that Lutz wasn't physically ready. Let's go get somebody else. It doesn't have to be Lutz right now. It just needs to not be Rosas. And the guy had clearly been struggling. He continued this week, kicking a 58-yard field goal. But I'm going to tell you the truth about it. I don't blame him, not this time at least. When I look at what Rosas had to come out there and do, you have a guy who is sitting there and he's been struggling. He missed the last two kicks, or he missed two kicks in the previous game, one from 50 yards and one from less than 40. You miss a kick under 40 yards, you need to get your confidence back. I look at the man's face and I say he needs to get his confidence back. You think I just was in there looking? You guys got to listen to the last podcast to understand this one. But And if you haven't, still go listen to it. There's some cool stuff in there. But um, if you don't want to go listen to preview and the loss, then <laughs> I understand. But it's I said that he didn't inspire confidence with his face. I'm not just looking in this man's helmet and just like, yeah, I don't believe in you. No, his face was one that lacked confidence. You can see it visually when he's about to kick he doesn't even look like he believes in himself. So if you're a kicker, how am I supposed to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself? It's really that simple. But neither here nor there. So you have a guy who's struggling, a guy who seems to be lacking confidence in himself, and you tell him to go kick a 58-yarder. That's not the kick I want to build confidence in my kicker. 
yes, if you make it, it's like, oh, okay, he can knock these down. But if you're trying to, or Endicott also tell him, oh, I can knock these down. But if you're trying to get him back there, give me a layup. I'm not about to put a player at the three-point line and say, hey, man, keep shooting, you, or keep shooting, you'll make one. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, okay, you need to see the ball go through the hoop. We talk about it in basketball. He went to the free throw line. He needs to see the ball go through the hoop. But instead, they decide to give him a, a half-court shot. That's what they decided to do. Um, and, it, it, and he didn't make it, but I blame that more so on Peyton. This was the same exact field goal opportunity that you had to begin the game from the same exact spot, the New York 40-yard line. And there was a reason that you didn't kick it the first time. There was a reason that you did not do it. But you know what I think it was? Because I think about things and I try to, why did you make this decision? Not if I agree with it or not, but why did you make this decision? So with Sean, I think that he saw the first two possessions, the first time you punted, the second time you went for it, didn't get it. There was only one other course of action that hadn't been tried yet. Let's kick it. But that was the worst one, 58 yards, a kicker that doesn't believe in himself. I refuse to believe it's just the fan base who doesn't. I'm telling you guys, I look this guy in his face, and every time when he's about to kick, it looks like he says to himself, I hope I make it. It's not, okay, I got to put a little extra leg into it. Uh, so many things have been veering left. No, it's I'm going to put my foot into the ball, and I hope I make it. And I don't want to bash him because, like I said, this is on Sean. You don't take a guy whose mindset looks like that. Obviously, I don't know, I don't know him personally. But you do not take a guy who appears to be so upset or so distressed. That's the better word for it. So distressed when he's about to kick a field goal and say, go kick a 58-yarder. That's darn near 60 yards. You know? So I think what Sean should have done is tried to go for it again, get those three yards, or, or punt it. But kicking a 58-yarder was not the decision there. Um, let's get back into another questionable decision by, by him, and that's Taysom Hill's um, interception play. Excuse me. Taysom Hill's interception play. And I'm not all the way opposed to the call itself. I said it on Twitter. I thought it was a good play call, good execution by 10 players on that, on that field, but the Saints. But the one player who didn't execute it well, What's the most important? And that was the quarterback. And it was an absolutely poor throw. Second worst deep ball I've seen him throw. Um, of course, next to the punt. <laughs> to Emmanuel Sanders. We all remember that. And to a certain level, I do think that there is a knowing your personnel factor that plays into this. Um, you have to know that Taysom Hill does not throw the ball deep well. You know, and it's not just that that's the reason he's not the quarterback. It's the fact that every time we've seen him try to throw the deep ball, it's not been executed, I don't even want to say perfectly, well. It's been done good enough on occasions. Like, it was so much separation that Emmanuel Sanders caught the pass. Uh, Deontay Harris in the playoffs caught the pass. This play should have been the same, though. And that's why I say I'm okay, poor execution, because Taysom was a beast running the ball. He absolutely was. And they understood that. They knew what was coming. I've said it before. And I'll talk about it uh, in a couple of other in a couple other uh, times later. I have, a, I have about two plays that I have to get into before we get into uh, what I think about Taysom Hill's running the ball. 
But when you look at it, he was a beast. And they were clamping up to try to stop the run, thinking he's not going to throw deep. Deontay Harris beats Bradbury by about two, maybe three steps. I thought that Taysom Hill would be able to get the ball to him. And I didn't think he was going to get it to him in stride or expect him to get it to him in stride. But what I did expect or hope was that it would just not be thrown the way it was. I almost feel like that was the one way that that ball would get picked was to throw it like him. People keep calling it a jump ball. And essentially it is, it turns into that. But I don't like calling it that because that makes it sound like it's a bad decision. Taysom Hill's interception was not a bad decision. It was a phenomenal decision. It was an obvious decision. So let's take the phenomenal off it. That's a lot of sauce. It was an obvious good decision. It was just terrible execution. The man's running right. You throw it left. You throw it to where Bradbury had the chance. I don't even know if it was 50-50. A ball that should have been 100% Deontay Harris's to have ended up being more of a 75-25 where Bradbury was in better position to catch it than Harris was. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Um, if he just floats the ball up, I think at worst it's an incompletion. But you throw it left, and now Bradbury has an interception. And I'm okay with the ball with the with the call. I think it works all the way up until you get to that area where he has to throw it. But I'll tell you where I kind of disagree and where I lean to saying, come on, Sean, why are you doing that? It's the timing of it. The call in general, in a vacuum, so to speak, okay, it didn't work, but I get it to try to keep them honest because you have to think that he can throw it at some point. It makes the run even more effective. But man, Kenny Stills had just caught a deep pass from Jameis. Troutman, who y'all told me was going to be freaking phenomenal, has flopped. But, you know, like, that's what he is. He, he's big trout. He's big fish. And he's not in water right now. And he's flopping. That's exactly what Troutman's season is through four weeks. But neither here nor there. Because that's not what's important. What's important is that Jameis just threw a touchdown pass to Kenny Stills that was negated by a holding penalty. And he had been dialing. And he had been wheeling and dealing up until that point. He still had that phenomenal uh, drive at the end of the first half where he was... Um, he had that beautiful pass to Ty Montgomery. He had other really nice passes, and he seemed like he was in good command of the offense. He still had that bomb to Marquez Callaway, and he had just thrown it to Kenny Stills. His part of that play was done well. Pulled the trigger. So for, for you to go and have Taysom try to take a deep shot at that moment, it's questionable, and I can't agree with it. I agree with the, or I'm okay with it, rather, in a vacuum. But situationally, and when you put the context around it that Jameis was finding a rhythm, no, I don't like it. Challenging a Saquon Barkley run. It's another thing. I don't like it. Saquon ran for two yards on a, on a second and two. So he barely got the first down. And apparently, Peyton thought he didn't get the first down. So he decides to throw his challenge flag. But the thing is, if you succeed with the challenge, it just becomes third and inches. They're going to run another play. Might be able to stop him, maybe. But it was not worth it. It was not worth it to challenge that play to have a third and inches. It wasn't fourth down. You weren't going to face them or force them into some decision that they had to make. The risk greatly out outweighed the reward. 
And I think you see it at the end of the fourth or mid midway through the fourth. They had a second and nine turn to a second and 14. Because with a little over four minutes left, Sean Payton, once again, did not get the call out quick enough. They broke the huddle with nine seconds left on the clock. And you can look at it. You go look at that play. And when they, and when Jameis walks off, I thought it was just one of, dang, we got a, a delay a game. But upon second look, he gave, he gave Sean a look. Like, you're not letting me really work with anything. That's what it looked like. He looked away and looked at Sean and gave him a, a, a real strong side eye that turned into a stare. And it looked like, you're not giving me nothing to work with. You're not giving me a chance to really perform. And boy, when I tell you not getting a chance to really perform is, is a theme of the day for Sean and Jameis. Yeah, it really is. So I would have taken the timeout right there because that was a drive to put them away. You score there, it's over. Second and nine is much better than second 14. You know? But here's the other thing. <clears throat> the second timeout, the first time I left because of the challenge that I mentioned to Saquon Barkley. That second timeout was also used to avoid a delay of game. And the play didn't get in quickly there either. So unless they're taking a long time to get the play out. That's on Sean not getting the play in quick enough. You should not be breaking the huddle with less than 10 seconds left. It gives you no time to evaluate the defense. You have to go up there and run the play. God forbid there's motion in the play. Why is Jameis breaking the huddle that late, man? You have to put the game away and you're deciding to have mental errors like that from a coaching standpoint. It's unacceptable. Alvin Kamara not being used as a receiver. Unacceptable. Sean, you, you, you planned out like 10 plays, 12 plays for Taysom Hill. And I understand he was effective. Taysom Hill had three passes on the day. I don't know why Taysom Hill has three passes. He has six carries, and he also had two catches. Alvin Kamara had none. Alvin Kamara didn't have a single catch. And it's unacceptable because that is your best receiving threat on your team, period. You need to find some way to get him moved into the, the, the passing, excuse me, the passing game. I don't care if it's a screen. I didn't see any screens. I don't care if it's a little swing pass. I don't care at all. You telling me Taysom Hill had freaking three passes in this game? You take out 2020, Taysom Hill had seven attempts in 2018. He had six attempts in 2019. He was actually a starter in 2020, so we're going to take that out because he had 121. And now he has four. He basically had half the attempts he has in a regular season in a game. And one of those came from under center. It's like, I know you love Taysom, and I'm all for having Taysom throw the ball a little bit or every now and then just so that it's not that predictable. But come on, at least have him throw it to AK. He threw a pass to Dwayne Washington. I never thought I would hear that. Taysom Hill to Dwayne Washington? That's not something I thought I'd hear this year. But, 
Yeah, having Alvin Kamara not get involved at all, not one single target, not even just a catch, but not even a single target in a game, that's questionable, Sean. That's a questionable move. And then I told y'all I was going to get into Taysom Hill and his running. I kind of stumbled over it when I talked about it, but I hope you guys got the gist. And I mean, hey, you're still here, so if you didn't, now you're about to hear about it. But every time that Taysom Hill comes into the game, it feels like you're going to run to the right to the B-gap. I was shocked that he scored on that second touchdown, the one that was much easier, because Adoree Jackson was the closest defender to the B-gap. I'm like, do y'all not know where Taysom's going? Well, third and two, they knew where he was going, he stopped it. That's not acceptable, I guess, you know. They, the result's not acceptable, but, I mean, the play itself, I'm, I'm kind of torn because it's worked pretty much all day. But it's so predictable. It doesn't take nothing but a second for them to say, oh, he's going right here. He never runs left. He doesn't even go left. He's always right to the B-gap. I tweeted about it. I'm like, I know what's coming, so I know they know what's coming. They just can't stop it. That was what I tweeted. That was when he scored a touchdown. Stand corrected. I tweeted that too. <laughs> I stand corrected. Third and two, I don't I think of all these, kicking the field goal, the interception play, um, challenging Saquon Barkley's two-yard run that would have led to third and inches and not getting AK as the receiver involved. The third and two run to Taysom is the smallest of all of them. But nevertheless, it may have been the downfall because you just did not open it up for Jameis. And before I get into Jameis and opening it up, I want to talk about the defense real quick because I've seen a lot of fans do this, and it's kind of starting to annoy me. And it's how they're talking about Paulson Adebo. I've obviously been an advocate for him, but be very clear. There is no bias in this. One thing I will not and cannot defend is the fact that he had a bad game. He, he, he played terribly against the Giants. John Ross beat him for that touchdown pass. He didn't go and try to get the ball, and it led to end up being a recovery because it was actually a fumble. I don't know if maybe he thought the ball was incomplete. Maybe he thought they completed it or, or whatever it is, but you would have liked to see him go and jump on the pass. Or jump on the ball that was on the ground in the end zone. Because if he did, there's no points on the board. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, but whatever. Kadarius Tony was too quick. He was too fast for him. It was clear that he was struggling with the speed of Ross and Tony. But the way that these people are talking about him after, God, man, fans be so fickle sometimes. And I'm seeing a lot of people, Adebo ain't it. Put Roby in. Adebo, Adebo's just not the guy. Not right now, at least. Man, I know the way y'all talked about it. And before anybody wants to hit me up, please do. You know, please hit me up. South Exclusives on Twitter, underscore Mouth of the South on Instagram. But before you hit me up and say, oh, I never truly believed and I'm not, then I want you to know I'm not talking to you. I am not talking to you. I'm not talking to the people who were not of belief in Adebo anyway. If you already hesitant, I'm not talking to you. But I know how people are talking about him after the Green Bay game. I know how people are talking about him after the Carolina game. We lost that game. People weren't even talking bad about him after the New England game because he hadn't really gave up much of much consequence. 
he gave up some things here and there, especially against Carolina and New England, but he gave up a touchdown versus New England. Against Carolina, he was pretty solid. He just, he bounced back in the second half. People have been complimentary of Paulson Adebo. So, yes, he has a bad game. He is a rookie cornerback on the other side of a top-flight cornerback in Marshawn Lattimore. He's going to get tested. And the amount he's going to get tested as a rookie, he's going to have a bad game. But as soon as he has a bad game, y'all claiming or clamoring for him to get benched, for him to be replaced by Roby. I understand that they traded a third-round pick for Roby. I get it. That was the whole reason that we thought that Roby would come in and be the starter. However, he wasn't in week two. He wasn't in week three. And he wasn't in week four. That's what we thought was going to happen, and it did not happen. So if you're looking to bench him because of this game, you are being so fickle. How are you changing your tune that quickly? Did you not expect him to ever struggle? Did you not expect the rookie cornerback to ever come in and have a rough outing? Because if you didn't, that's on you. I knew this was going to happen eventually. Obviously, you didn't want it to happen. You hope that he comes down these freaking 2017 Lattimore. But let's be real. That's most likely not going to be the case. And you should have known that before. If Roby ends up being a starter next week, then I hope that it's just because they were trying to give him time to get acclimated and grab the playbook in about three weeks. Because that's how long he would be on the team before this three games. He was here for the Patriots game, the Packers, the Panthers game, and now the Giants game. But if the Saints decide to bench Adebo because he had a bad week four, not because it was always the plan, then that's not, that's not, I don't think that's a good decision. You're looking at a guy that if he continues to play well and bounces back, mind you, he's always bounced back mid-game. So his attitude mid-game tells me that he has a good chance to bounce back this week. I'm not saying you never put him down and you just have to let him burn and fire. However, I'm going to let him give me multiple games where he does not perform up to the status that I feel like he should be performing, and then I'll put Roby in. But I'm not about to see him mess up for a game and just put Roby in. So that's just quit a, that quick little rant. But please stop. Like, like I think that is annoying. That is very fickle because you are out here praising him and talking about how good he was and how you finally found your number two cornerback. Don't turn around after one game and say, oh, this guy's not it. We got to bring the other guy. We have to bring the other guy in. Stop that. I want to close out the pod talking about Jameis Winston and Sean Payton because they have this interesting little relationship as a tandem. Not personally if they like each other or anything, but just working together as coach and quarterback. And at, at the beginning of the game, Saints weren't airing it out. Didn't seem like they were stretching the field. Jonathan Vilma said basically they weren't stretching the field with Deontay Harris or any of the other receivers. I don't know if he just meant that from a target standpoint or if he meant that from a route standpoint, but I'm not there. Not in the press box. I don't have the all 22 or anything like that. However, it's, it's, it's hard because he can't do anything. He being Jameis, if Sean takes the ball out of his hand completely. And I know the Saints don't want Jameis to make any mistakes, but you need to give him room to make mistakes. You cannot smother him and try to keep everything under wraps because at one point, he's going to mess up. That simply just is what it is. Fans need to understand that. 
Coaches need to understand that. But you got to get him room too. Because if he's throwing 20 passes a game and six of them are incomplete or seven of them are incomplete, it's like, dang. And if one of those incompletions is an interception, it's like, man, you know, Jameis ain't really doing this. But you're not getting much room. And in, in, in a certain way, it's like, well, he's messing up with his limited opportunities. But you're also not giving him, with, with, with the lack of attempts, every mistake is multiplied. It's what I'm trying to say. So you got to give him some room. But he was hot last week, or yesterday, really. He was hot. You look at the end of the first half to midway through the third quarter when Taysom, not Jameis, but Taysom throws the interception. That man was dealing. The last, he had that beautiful pass to Tom Montgomery in the last drive of the first half. He had a great pass to, to Marquez. He had that great pass to Kenny Stills. I talked about all of this already, so I'm going through it really quickly. But he had really good passes. He was handling the offense. He had that play to Tom Montgomery. Um, not the corner route, but the one where he redirected traffic when he broke out of the pocket. He was showing a command of the offense, and he was moving really well. It's also part of my problem with Taysom. Is even with Drew, it felt like he always came in at the expense of the other quarterback's rhythm. And right now, more than anything, and that was kind of the problem last year too, as far as Drew trying to get his rhythm. Taysom interrupting Jameis' rhythm when he's trying to become the starting quarterback of the team and show why he got the job, that's the true problem. Because after that broken rhythm and he was an interception, you would have thought Jameis threw the interception with how Sean re responded. Barely threw another pass, threw one pass in the next 15 minutes of play. He came back, had a good good pass to Marquez Callaway. I don't care if you're looking at him and you're saying our weapons aren't there. Yesterday, that offensive line blocked well. Jameis performed well. You have to keep letting him go. I don't care that, that Michael Thomas isn't there. I don't care that Traquan Smith isn't there. Because with the people who were on the field, Jameis was improving. He was improving throwing to Marquez. He was improving throwing to Kenny Stills. So it's not about playing safe until your guys get here. Sean is a great coach. I understand that I put this loss on him, and I ain't changing that. But Sean is a good coach. And as a good coach, you have to understand that I don't care what your plan was coming in. You know what's working right now. So I don't care if you want to keep him limited, keep him kind of boxed in until you get everybody because without everybody, he was hooping. Jameis Winston was playing really well in that late first quarter to early third. And you took everything from underneath him. Now, we'll see when he goes against Washington, whose defense might not have been everything that we thought it was going to be. But they still have the talent to put it together, especially on that defensive line. And James Hurst, Eric McCoy, I mean, excuse me, uh, James Hurst. Caesar Ruiz and Calvin Throckman, Throckmorton, they're all in places they're not supposed to be. I don't care if that, that defense hasn't put it all together. They can at any moment. And going against a injured offensive line is the perfect moment to do it. So we'll see what it's going to be, y'all.
But I just know that I didn't. It just didn't sit right with me that Jameis was looking really good, and then all of a sudden you stopped throwing altogether. He finally seemed like he had it going, and he took the ball out of his hands. How can you expect him to grow into the role that you want him to if you don't allow him to? I don't know if the Saints were playing conservative. I'm, 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 I kind of don't want to call it that because I think their identity is to just run the ball. That is their identity, and it's not really conservative when that's your identity. But what I do know is that Jameis Winston was looking like he was ready to win that game, and they took it out of his hands, and that probably is what lost that game for the New Orleans Saints. Sorry. Sean Payton got to be better, man. Sean Payton has to be better. And hopefully they will because next time I come on here and I'm, pre I'm predicting what's going to happen in the Washington game, hopefully I'm predicting a win in the podcast after that. In the bye week, you can go back and you can be 3-2 and two rather than 2-3, and three, and I can have happy thoughts and a smile on my face when recording this. But, y'all, man, make sure y'all check out the next episode. Thank you guys for getting to the end of this one. Make sure you check out the next episode because I have a really good guest for you guys, and I can't wait to let you guys know who it is. I'm very excited, so... You're not going to want to miss it. But y'all know the drill. To the next time y'all hear me, run it back. It's been Darian Gray, the mouth of the South. Benny, blessed.